I realize I don't really need to do a catchy introduction for the message this morning. All I need to do is say, the Antichrist. And I have your attention. So, what, the Antichrist? Hmm, what is this going to be about? Yes, this is uh, one of the passages in Scripture that specifically mentions the Antichrist. The word Antichrist is used twice. And if that's not enough, there's more. Uh, we're also going to be dealing with questions like, can a believer lose their salvation? So things that really are things we can and should be very interested in. We'll be talking about the Antichrist, Antichrists, plural, what's that? The anointing, abiding in Christ. There's a lot here. So let's read together 1 John chapter 2, 18 through 24. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you that those who are trying to deceive you, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. We have great things to unpack here this morning. But the first thing we're going to talk about in this first uh, verse here, it talks about the Antichrist. And what is this about? What is he saying? Antichrist, and there's Antichrist as well too. So looking at this first section, See, Antichrist deny truth about Jesus. And we see it talked about in verse 18, and then we're also going to look at 22 and 23. It unpacks it a little bit more. But notice it says that there's the Antichrist that is coming, but also Antichrist that are here, here, and now. So it's important. I think we need to talk about both of these different aspects. So one is that according to Scripture, there is a final Antichrist who will come in the last days at the end of this, this era that will come. Now we look at the verse we have as his children. You know, John is talking to believers. He's uh, talking to them with, again with compassion, calling them chil his children. He says, it is the last hour. He says this twice. Now, if he says this is the last hour, uh, and how can that be if you know, the Antichrist didn't come and the end didn't come within 60 minutes of when he wrote this? 
Now, obviously, we realize, okay, he doesn't mean last hour as far as actual 60 minutes, but, you know, this is a phrase that is used to say this is, uh, the, the Scripture does this, the last, the last times, the last period, and really, it's everything from the first advent, the first coming of Christ, all the way until he comes again. Something's can be called the last hour, okay? And uh, part is we don't know when Christ is going to return, and it could be uh, a lot sooner than, than we think. We might not even finish this message, wouldn't that be great? Um, and I won't complain about that. I won't say, oh, I, I did a lot of work on this. <laughs> That'd be good. Uh, so we're in the, this last time period now. And at the end, there's going to be a final Antichrist that comes, the Antichrist. Anti, when here, sometimes we think anti, we think like antimatter or something. It means the exact opposite of. So you think like, a, you know, you have a picture in mind of Jesus and you make a mirror negative of that. That's probably not really what it's going to be like, the Antichrist, when he comes. In Greek, the prefix anti uh, can mean either against or it can mean in place of. And I think both of those things are actually going to be true about the Antichrist when he comes. He's definitely going to be against Christ, uh, but maybe even more so, it's this idea of being in place of Christ, that he's going to come as a false Christ, a false Messiah. And don't think that you, know, you, have, you have Jesus, he's beautiful, he's glorious, and the Antichrist, he's going to come and he's going to be just obviously wicked. In fact, when he comes, very many, they're going to follow him really thinking he is the real Messiah. They're going to be fooled in that way. So he's a false, he's a replacement Christ that is going to fool most of the people in the world at that time. The word Antichrist is only used by John. And so it is used... Um, five times in different, four different verses in 1 John and uh, once, so 1 John uh, 2, 18 and 22, uh, chapter 4, verse 3, and also 2 John, verse 7. Uh, but this person is referenced with other terms, other places in Scripture. And I'll give you some of these, and we can't go super, uh, you know, in-depth as much as we could, but I really encourage you to study these things, look into some of these passages, and I'm going to give you a brief overview of what we do know scripturally, prophetically, about the Antichrist when he comes. So Daniel chapter 7, he's referenced as the little horn, there's prophecy there. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4, he's called the man of lawlessness, Okay. And in Revelation uh, 13 and other places, referred to as the beast. Uh, there's a first beast, there's a second beast that's also known as the, uh, the false prophet. The first beast, this is the Antichrist. So he has different names. He's only called the Antichrist uh, here you know, by John in these letters, but written about in Scripture, Old Testament and, and in New Testament. Uh, he's not Satan, but he's someone, a real person empowered by Satan, maybe possessed by Satan, to lead the world astray. Let me read to you from 2 Thessalonians 2, 3-4. Paul writes, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that, day will, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God, that that's what will happen with the Antichrist. So to give you a brief kind of overview of chronology of kind of how this, uh, what we know from Scripture, how this is going to work, uh, the first thing that will happen is what is referred to in Scripture as the, the rapture. 
something that could happen in every moment. This is described in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And at that moment, it says in Scripture, the dead in Christ will rise. Christ will return in the air. The dead in Christ will rise. So if, if you have uh, people that, uh, other Christians, family members, church members, or people from you know 2,000 years ago, they're going to be raised with a new physical body at that moment. Okay? And... Also, if you're alive during that time, it says you'll be caught up into the air to meet Jesus and to be taken to heaven for the, uh, uh, what comes next. Also, at that moment, according to 1 Corinthians 15.52, uh, that in the twinkle of an eye, you will be given your resurrection body. So if uh, the rapture happens while you're still alive, you get to skip that whole death thing. Pretty nice perk, Okay. <laughs> With this happening, think of all the Christians, um, now not just those that you know, say they're Christian or click Facebook, you know, I'm a Christian. Uh, God's not looking at your Facebook status to see, like, oh, are they real or not? No, he knows, okay? Uh, but for the, those that are Christians, taken out of this world, and uh, no matter how that works, there is going to be a lot of uh, calamity you know, in this world, turmoil. And if you've noticed, uh, people in you know, governments tend to seize upon these things as opportunities. And so I think this is when the Antichrist, you know, comes on the scene. And he'll be seen at first as a political leader, as uh, the, the strong leader that this world needs in this time of turmoil and trouble. And people look to him, they'll think, this is a good leader. This is someone we need to follow. He'll have a strong personality, uh, you know, obviously. And people won't think Antichrist. They'll think, no, just we have to follow this guy because our world needs, you know, this type of leadership uh, right now. So I expect him to be a political leader. Based on prophecy, I expect him to be European, uh, to rule over uh, what could be described as a revived Roman Empire. And then this man is going to sign a treaty, a covenant with Israel, allowing them protection. Think of how we know in the world today, you got everyone's against Israel. And so what's going to happen, this will seem like a good thing. He's going to say, sign this treaty with me and I will guarantee you protection so that uh, all these other nations that want to destroy you, they won't be able to. They'll sign that covenant and that treaty, and this will also finally allow them to rebuild the temple that's in Jerusalem, like where it originally was, where it's not now, there's a mosque there now, and just, there's no way they could do that now. But I think having this uh, protection from this you know, world leader is what will allow them to do this. The signing of this covenant uh, according to Daniel, is what will officially start what is called the tribulation period, uh, which is this time, also called the day of the Lord, uh, mentioned many times in Scripture, uh, but it's this, this period that we know from Scripture is going to be a seven-year period that God pours out his wrath upon this world. So on one hand, people are saying peace and safety, and this leader is making us safe, but God is going to be issuing his, his judgment during this time. And we'll see all the judgments described in the book of Revelation, there's the seven seal judgments, the seven trumpet judgments, the seven bowl judgments. You know, and read those sometime, and uh, it's not going to be a pleasant thing to be around for. This is also referred to as the 70th week in Daniel uh, chapter 9, and uh, the day of the Lord in many places, like 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through uh, 11. There's a lot of great things to look up and to, to study you know, on this. And it says that the 70th week or 70th seven, that's when you know it's a seven-year period. And it's going to be broken up into two halves. 
So in the first half of it, we know from Scripture, for three and a half years, uh, the world is going to view the Antichrist as basically the Savior. They're going to be, thank you for this, and we're going through tough times, and, and we need you, and uh, really viewing him as a, as a Messiah. And that's why Antichrist, he's going to be you know, seen as the, this, he's a false Messiah, a false Christ, and he is going to deceive the nations into thinking this. And so he'll still seem like this really good guy to most people during the first part of it. Uh, he'll mimic Christ. And from Revelation 13, it even seems there that there will be even an assassination of the, uh, the Antichrist, or at least an apparent assassination, that he'll be even uh, resurrected or appear to be resurrected from the dead. Again, mimicking, mimicking Christ. Having people think, this is the Messiah, this is the Christ. But he's not. But then at the midpoint of the tribulation, three and a half years into it, what happens is the Antichrist will enter the Jewish temple and proclaim himself to be God. Oh, it's nice of you to rebuild this whole temple for me. Guess who it's for? It's for me. I am your God. And he will enter this and demand that everyone in the world worship him or die. And you'll be killed if you, if you don't. And it talks about the mark of the beast, and that's one of his other names, remember? And um, if you don't receive the mark of the beast, and whatever that is, you can speculate, and, uh, but you won't be able to buy or sell. Think of how that would be like in our world today, you know, if you uh, had different systems where, uh, you know, everything is, you need a certain card or whatever, and uh, you, you can't buy groceries or anything unless you have this. Um, wow. And then at the end of the seven-year period is when Christ returns, and he does, talks about this in Revelation uh, chapter 7, 11 through 21, and it says that the beast, uh, which is the Antichrist, and the second beast, the false prophet, uh, will be captured and thrown into the lake of fire. And that is where their story ends. They're in the lake of fire forever. As Christ sets up his kingdom on earth, it goes talk about him uh, setting up a, a kingdom for a thousand years on the earth in Revelation chapter 20, with Satan in the abyss, that it says, so that he cannot, that, quote, he might not deceive the nations any longer. Which, by the way, that's a big reason why I think that we are not in that time period right now, because, I don't know, I look around, and it kind of seems to me like Satan's doing a really good job of deceiving the nations. So I do not see this as uh, the millennium kind of right now. Um, so I think that is future. And then at the end of the millennium, Satan is released. He initiates one final rebellion that God will quickly destroy, He'll put it down. And then as Revelation 20.10 prophesies, quote, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And so then that's the end of Satan. Not his uh, end, because he continues to exist forever and ever. And sadly, those that follow him, too. Uh, and those that don't have a, a savior. And let me just say, I plead with you to come to Jesus Christ. There is a savior, so that each of us, we do not need to go down that road. That does not need to be your destiny as well. Um, the Son of God, we're going to see, he loved you, he died on the cross, so that doesn't have to be where we end up. So I'll point out here, John definitely sees the Antichrist as a real literal person. Okay, you can say there's symbolism, but he, he sees him not as just symbolic, he sees him as an actual person. And I think that's a way that we need to think about this.
There's a question sometimes people ask, can we know in advance who the Antichrist will be? And I think that's kind of, um, uh, there's a clear answer, but also a tricky answer. Uh, the clear answer is no, because we don't know for sure when Christ will return. But I think this is an interesting, to think of, interesting thing to think about, is that Satan doesn't know when Christ will return either. So I think that uh, it's a good logical thing to think that uh, at any moment, Satan uh, has somebody waiting that he knows that he would use that person as the candidate to fulfill this role of the Antichrist should uh, Jesus Christ return. Okay, because again, Satan doesn't know who this is going to be. Some people have thought, well, during the reign of Hitler, that, wow, he seems like he could really be the Antichrist. And you know what? If Jesus had returned right at that point, I think that would make sense that uh, Satan would have used Hitler uh, you know, for that. Uh, but we're not really going to know who the Antichrist is until Christ returns at the first part of his return with the rapture and all these events get kicked off. So, yeah, there is an Antichrist who will come. Bible talks about this. Uh, but it also, according to John here, he says that, yeah, there's a uh, final Antichrist who will come, but there are also many Antichrists even now. But it says who they are. They are those who deny Jesus as the Christ. Those that are in the spirit of the Antichrist. Those that are following him, uh, promoting his same message. And that's what this means. So uh, they're like little Antichrists in this world. So 1 John 4, um, 22 through 23 uh, is a passage that references this. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. And no one who denies the Son has a Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Now for a sneak preview into another message of 1 John that we'll be having in a few weeks. In 1 John 4, 2 through 3, you just have to listen. Let me read it to you. It's another place where John talks about the Antichrist and also the message that these, uh, well, these Antichrists are proclaiming. In that he says, uh, this is uh, chapter 4, 2 and 3, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So note, uh, this is not the, ant the Antichrist himself, but it's the spirit of the Antichrist. You know, his influence, what uh, you, he is promoting that is in the world already. And if it was in the world uh, in the time when John wrote this, we know it's in the world here today. Truth about Jesus Christ is essential. You can't say it's just, you know, feelings are what matter in religion. Having the right heart. You have to have the right truth about Jesus Christ. And there can be some things that we can have, you know, quibbles about. Uh, but there are essential doctrines that are just not negotiable. If you want to claim that you're a Christian. And if you want to be an actual, real Christian. Uh, so, obviously, you can't deny that Jesus is the Christ. Okay? If you... Uh, claim to worship Jesus, not the Christ. You're not a Christian. Jesus is, Christ is not his last name. 
Christ means Messiah, it means anointed one, that he is the one that was promised in the Old Testament, and he's finally come. He's, he's here to fulfill these promises, to be the, the full and final sacrifice payment for our sin. And we realize he's the, he's the son of God, fully God, fully human. That is who this Jesus is. Say, well, I worship Jesus, but I see him more as a good moral teacher. He's a good example, has great ways to tell us to love our neighbor. Well, he does. He has a lot of that we really need to do and put into practice. Uh, but it's more than that. Uh, we have doctrine. You know, it, your thoughts about who God is, who Jesus is, is essential, a non-negotiable thing. You can't deny that Jesus is fully God and fully human and be a real Christian and be saved. We've talked about in First John that John gives at least three tests and you know, some different authors break them down differently or uh, have, have different combinations, but at least you know, three that, uh, to know that you're a real Christian or not. And there's the test of uh, obedience and love. We've seen that already. And the third one is the doctrinal test. There are certain things that you just have to know, that you have to you just have correct uh, to be a, a genuine Christian. And having it wrong would show that you're not the real deal yet. Um, we see from this passage, too, you can't deny the Son and have the Father. People say, I just, I want to have a relationship with just, I don't want to have to worry about Trinity and uh, Jesus Christ, you know, specifically. And, you know, maybe, you know, saying Jesus, that's not real popular, but, you know, I'll, I'll claim God. Well, this is saying you can't have God without Jesus. You can't have God the Father without the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and Jesus said, too, that uh, he is the only way to the Father. You can't, they're a package deal. You can't separate them. There's one God in three persons, and you can't split up the Trinity and have one, not the other. Salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. It is specific. And people have tried to do this. Maybe, you know, Thomas Jefferson is a product of the Enlightenment and a rationalist, and that we should be able to judge things by reason. And he actually made himself his own Bible uh, where he literally, you know, cut out uh, the part of the Bible, you know, that um, he liked the moral teachings. So he, he cut that out, you know, pasted them together and uh, kept the moral teachings, the ones he liked, uh, but then got rid of all the miracles, you know, because we know those things didn't really happen and we know Jesus wasn't really God. But these things are important to believe. And to believe otherwise, that's the spirit of the Antichrist. Second point in this message. We're looking at verse 19 especially. And we see that Christians that don't persevere in the faith are false Christians. Maybe I assume you said Christians, if they're false Christians. But here's the thing, they're going to look like they're Christians. There's a lot of people that look like they're Christians, appear as Christians, say the right things. Maybe, you know, they're involved in ministries. Some, you know, leading churches. uh, Some leading part of, you know, popular Christian music artists, influencers. Or don't just think it's the, the big famous people, but people that can be, that are in churches or in communities that, you think, well, obviously that's a, a Christian. But then you notice there's sometimes that they deny the faith, they walk away. And what is the case there? Are they still saved? Can you lose your salvation? Were they ever saved to begin with? 
This is a verse we have to really wrestle with. Notice, uh, let's read verse 19 again. They went out from us. So he's talking about these false teachers. Uh, a lot of them described you know, as these antichrists. They went out from us, so they were part of them, and then they left. But they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. I'll let you know in a while why I have that with green highlighted. They would have continued with us. <clears throat> but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Do you believe that someone who is saved is always saved? What about someone who seems, really seems to be a Christian, but then walks away from it? Different Christians have different beliefs, and some believe that you can lose your salvation. Um, you know, some that you, you're, you're good until you sin, and then you have to get saved again. Some that, okay, you're good, but if you totally deny Christ, you've lost your salvation. Um, I am convinced from Scripture you can't lose your salvation. Um, that uh, eternal security is, is true. And I used to, uh, when, I was, was, when I was young, I used to hold to eternal security, but I also believed that someone could walk away from their faith and still be saved. And I thought that, well, that's essential. Otherwise, you're saying people are losing their salvation. Um, however, this was the, the verse, really thinking about what John says here, there's other things too, but especially this one that really kind of put the final nail for me that, that changed my theology from a mere eternal security to perseverance of the saints. And this means that, one, that, that nobody who is genuinely born again can lose their salvation because ultimately it's not us that keeps it. It's, it's God and he doesn't break his promises and we're going to see verses that talk about that. And all that all genuine Christians are kept by the power of God. God not only keeps them saved, but causes them to persevere in the faith. So it's not just that he preserves them, but they, they persevere. So perseverance of the faith, notice it says here, uh, those that didn't continue, it was proof that they weren't real Christians to begin with. And so perseverance of the saints means that those that are genuine Christians will continue on in the faith. That God will not only keep them saved, but he will never let that flame of faith go out in their heart. No, I do have to say there's sometimes where you know, there, can be, there can be stumbles. There can be times where the flame of faith isn't what you'd want it to be. Okay? Where you're not seeing a whole lot there. But I think for genuine Christians, God never lets it completely go out. You know, uh, something under the surface, he's keeping some coals burning, and, and then you see him you know, rise into flame again. Um, I've used this illustration uh, before, I might as well use it again. But I, I remember a time that we had a, a youth group uh, bonfire in our backyard, and we had a lot of teens, and we had you know, plastic chairs that were uh, set around the bonfire. And after we went to sleep, and we thought we had put the, you know, the fire out, and I woke up in the morning and I looked out the window and I looked and there was, you know, there was the plastic chairs and, you know, the fire was out. And then I looked out there again a few minutes later and there was a huge fire going up. I mean, it might have been, you know, 10, 15 feet. It, maybe I'm exaggerating, but it was big. One of the plastic chairs, which are basically made of petroleum, had fallen over into 
the bonfire, and there was still enough there that it caught this on in big old fire, and everything was fine. But I, I think sometimes we have to be careful in judging others because sometimes uh, we don't know. You know, it, it, but I think for a real Christian, um, God makes it so that the, the fire doesn't actually go out. You know, it's still there, but sometimes you're not seeing the flames that you wish you would. Uh, and it's always nicer when you see the flames, when you see the proof of it, and you can have that actual assurance that you know that there is a fire of faith. Um, but there's other times where it's like, mm, there's nothing there. I mean, you can have a, you know, a bunch of logs and pour a bunch of gas on it and have a nice little fire for a while, but it's just the gas. And it's, the logs never actually catch. I think there's a lot of people that are like that. They claim to be Christians and there was a big fire for a while, but it was basically the, you know, the gasoline of emotion or friendships or whatever, something else rather than loving Jesus Christ as their Savior. And when that was gone, it's out, and there was nothing else that was actually there. And so perseverance of the faith means that, yeah, not only does uh, genuine Christians, they can't lose their salvation, that Christians are kept by the power of the Spirit, but that God ca- keeps them saved and causes them to persevere in their faith. And this also means that uh, if someone fully and finally walks away from Christ, it's evidence that the person was never genuinely born again by the Holy Spirit. This is also what our church believes. This is uh, from our statement of faith, okay, which is not scripture. Scripture is more important than the statement of faith, but I think this summarizes scripture well. Let me read this. This is article 16 on the perseverance and preservation of the saints. We believe that such only are real believers as endure until the end, that their persevering attachment to Christ is the grand mark which distinguishes them from superficial professors, people that profess Christ but they don't possess Christ. It's all on the outside, not in the heart. And that a special providence watches over their welfare for for those that are genuinely born again. And that they are kept by the power of God through faith unto eternal salvation. So God keeps the faith alive and it's ultimately not from us. And guess what? Your, your faith ultimately wasn't from you anyways. But God that started it will continue it and keep that going in your life to bring you all the way home. That he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Now to look at this more if you have your outline. On the back, I've given you this and I've given you a bunch of verses that I hope you take some time to read and to study. I know some people that want more assurance to know that you know, I'm, if I'm a Christian, you know, can I lose my salvation? Would that happen? Take a look at these verses. And remember, these are the word of God teaching you and instructing you. Let me give you three of, three of them to look at. John, Gospel of John, chapter 6, 37 through 39. And wow, think of the implications. Think of the logic in these verses. And uh, again, this is Jesus talking. He says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Do you think Jesus is going to not do the will of the Father? That he's not going to keep those 
that the Father has given to him. Is he going to blow off that responsibility? Sometimes our kids, we give them responsibilities, but they don't do it. What about Jesus? I think he's going to do it. Okay? John 10, 27 through 29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. And my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. No one else can. Jesus isn't going to cast you away. No one can uh, snatch you out of his hand. And guess what? That includes you. He's not going to let you jump out of his hand either because he's going to fulfill the will of the Father that he loses none that he has been given. But these also verses also talk that we real Christians do abide in the faith, that they persevere in the faith. And for example, Colossians 1, 22 through 23. He has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death. That's how we get repaired relationship with God because Jesus died for us on the cross in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Yeah, we're all in our sins. We know that we're you know, defiled, but guess what? Our destiny, your destiny is for, <laughs> to be presented before God spotless because Christ has paid for your sin. He considers you holy now, but and he's going to work in your life that he's going to glorify you. He's going to clean you up. He's going to shine you up, okay? And that's going to be eternity for us. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. And that's what Christians do. Again, it's not a work that, well, you've got to keep yourself saved. Well, we do. We, we're responsible to abide. But the Holy Spirit is in your heart and in your life so that you will. Okay? He's going to give you the strength and energy and everything that you need so that you will continue on. The Bible is very clear that genuine Christians can't lose their salvation. And verses that seem to teach that you can lose your salvation, I think, are either about one or two things. They're actually about loss of eternal rewards, but not salvation itself. Or they're about people that were never genuine Christians in the first place. So thinking about a verse here. False Christians show their true colors by departing from the faith. But genuinely born-again Christians abide in Christ forever, kept by God's mighty power. So that in the news today, uh, these days about you know, people deconstructing from the faith or deconversion. The biblical term for that is apostasy, leaving the faith. Even former pastors, musicians, influencers, about one musician now calls himself an ex-evangelical and follows the universal Christ. And some of these claim to be just, well, they're, they're atheists now, they're more enlightened. Uh, and it's not just you know, famous people, I'm sure there's people that you know. The question I would have for, for these supposed Christians turned atheists, because they'll say, oh, I was once a Christian, but now I realize it's all gone. I would say, I would ask them this, so think about this. Um, did you ever receive a born-again heart from the Lord? If you ask someone like that that claims to be a Christian, and now is a, or claims that they used to be a Christian, they were the real thing, and now they're an, uh, they're an atheist, ask them, did you ever receive a born-again heart from the Lord? If they answer no, well, yeah, you weren't a real Christian then. 
Does real Christians have a born-again heart from the Lord? But if the answer yes, well, you just admitted that God exists because he gave you a born-again heart at one point, didn't he? Profession of Christ does not mean possession of Christ. Again, 1 John gives these tests for believers to know whether they're genuine Christians. This one is a negative test to know if someone is a false Christian. If someone does not continue in the faith, they were never a real Christian to begin with. No matter how all the things they seem to do, people can put on a good show, people can be fooled in their own heart, they can be trusting the wrong things. Many people will say to me, you said, Lord, Lord, and be told, depart, I never knew you. You have to ask yourself, are you, do you really know for sure? would love to talk to you if, if you need talking to. It's been said, when you see a star fall, you know it's not a star. When you see a Christian fall away, you know it wasn't a real Christian to begin with. Someone else has said, faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty from the first. I mean, some kind of thing that may look like faith, but there's some kind of short circuit in there somewhere. Where instead, real Christians abide forever. So looking at some of the rest of these verses here, Let's read again here, 20, uh, kind of through the end. It says, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Then two verses that we already read. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has a Father. Whoever confesses the Son has a father also. In verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is a promise that he made to us, promise eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you abide in him. So you might have noticed a few uh, words there that were repeated. I want to talk about noticing the word abide and also anointing. And what is is that? So abide. The point I want to make is that uh, God's word and spirit abides in us so that we will abide in the Son and in the Father. The Greek word for abide is meno. It kind of sounds like remain, meno, remeno. It means can mean abide, remain, or continue. So it's used six times in the passage that uh, we've just been looking at. And if you count here, you see, well, well, there's five of them right there, abide in you. Uh, abide, but there's one more. Because back when it said about the false teachers that they do not continue in the faith, that was highlighted green because that's also the same Greek word. They didn't abide, they didn't continue, they didn't remain. But for real believers, there's an anointing that remains with us and we remain, we abide with the Lord. So verse 24, let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. So keep the gospel message in your heart. The message that you have from the beginning. We shouldn't be about seeking after these new novel things. Who's got something new to say? Some new secret teaching. What's new? That's, that's false teaching. 
It's the message that we have from the beginning that we cling to. Christians, as John Stott said, ought to be conservative in their theology because it's not up to us to change things, but to cling to what we have heard from him. We're not making up from the beginning. Don't run after new truths with itching ears. Verse 25, the promise. It's a promise, eternal life that he gives to us. In 26 and 27, the anointing abides in real Christians. So the anointing, what is, what is this anointing? Well, let's look at this as well. And when we study this, we see that through the Holy Spirit and his inspired word, Christians have all the spiritual knowledge that they need. So in verse 20, we see you know, the word anointed here you know, quite a few times. So I have that in uh, kind of orange or gold now. But you have been anointed from the, the Holy One. Talks about that in verse 20. So the Holy One, probably a reference to Christ. And the anointing is the Holy Spirit. That Christ gives the anointing, the Holy Spirit, to believers. That it is given to real Christians by Jesus Christ. And this is teaching that all real Christians have this anointing. This is important to realize. Uh, there's some that talk about, well, you know, you might be a Christian, but have you received the Holy Spirit yet? Have you received the anointing? There's a second thing that you need to go after. Well, I look at this. It says, no, all Christians have this. If you're a real Christian, you already have the anointing. You already have the Holy Spirit. There is no real Christian without the Holy Spirit in you. Since the book of Acts, and yeah, the book of Acts, there was a transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, uh, but even in the time of Romans, and definitely by this time, all Christians have the Holy Spirit. Paul in Romans 8 9 writes, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The Holy Spirit given by Christ. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, it means you're not a real Christian. If you don't see him, uh, he's going to have evidence what he does in your heart. You know, he, he give, causes you to you know, have faith and for it to continue. He starts causing you to have a love for God, a change in your life, all these evidences that show that you are the real deal. If you don't have that, it might mean you didn't have the Holy Spirit in your heart to begin with, giving you a born-again heart and indwelling you and working, changing you from the inside out. So there's no such thing as a Christian who does not have the Holy Spirit. You don't have to seek it. It's a reality from the moment that you were saved. And in verse 20, 21, it also points out that the anointing gives all of us knowledge. And what is this talking about? And then 26 and 27, it says, the anointing teaches us, and we have no need of teachers. Now, I don't know, when you heard that, why didn't you just leave? Why'd you stay around? I'm glad you, I'm glad you stayed around. Um, and, and the Bible obviously talks about teaching and good teaching and gifts of teachers, uh, you know, for the church, okay? So what does it mean then when it says you have no need of teachers? <clears throat> Here's what I think. The Holy Spirit gives us the word of God. And the word of God, this Bible, is his book. Yes, written by men, but ultimately inspired by God. It's God-breathed, 2 Timothy 3.16. The Holy Spirit also illuminates this to us. 
to help it so it's not just dead words, but we understand it. And that's why sometimes people have said, you know, before I was a Christian, this was so boring and just dead. And then you became a Christian, all of a sudden it's like, wow. It it becomes alive to you. You realize what it is. It's the Holy Spirit causing you to see what's there. Illumination. Can't read real well if the room is pitch black or your eyes are blind. But the Holy Spirit turns the light on and heals your eyes. Oh, you see the beauty that was there the whole time. It also means that there's no hidden knowledge that Christians are dependent upon special human teachers to know about. And I think this is probably what was going on with a lot of these false teachers. You know, listen to me because I have special knowledge that the others aren't telling you. And I can tell you this, and sometimes for a fee or whatever it is, or follow me specifically. Uh, but they want you to believe that unless you follow those teachers, you're going to be missing out on some of this special knowledge that's out there. And this is saying no. That through the word of God and the Holy Spirit, that each of us, we have everything that you need. There's still a role for teachers, and we, we learn from that. But there's nothing that I can tell you that you cannot also learn from studying the word of God. And if there is, that's a problem. It better be something that is from this book. You're not dependent on me. Hopefully teachers and there's Sunday school teachers, hopefully we're helps for that. But we're not dependent on that. And it doesn't mean it's just automatic. Read it and whatever you think is right. You have to study and you have to learn you know, techniques and you get better at it. But it's accessible. And it's there. Through the scriptures, using normal means, you can know everything that God intends for us to know in this age. Are you in the word of God for yourself? Also, one thing that's interesting, too, the word anointed uh, is actually from the same Greek word that Christ is from. Remember, Christ literally means anointed one. And so if you're reading this in Greek, you'd see both abide pop up a lot, and you would see uh, anointed also popping up as the same root word for, for Christ. Jesus was, the anoint, was anointed by God as the Messiah. And believers are anointed by Christ with the Holy Spirit. In a sense, Christians are, are a little anointed ones following the anointed one. Three applications. I think they already come from the text. Believe the truth about Jesus that he is the Christ. He is fully God and fully human. And he needed to be this to pay for our sins. If he wasn't the Messiah, if he wasn't the real deal, if he wasn't God and he wasn't a human, that whole cross thing doesn't work for getting you saved. But if this was the God-man doing that, that's how we can be saved. And that's how you don't have to end up in the lake of fire with the devil and the, the Antichrist. I hope you turn to Jesus Christ. It's a free gift. He paid for it already. Believers, take comfort in the security of your salvation. It's, you are kept by the power of God. And abide in Christ and demonstrate, therefore, that your salvation is real. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God. Thank you that ultimately our salvation is of you from beginning to end. You who began a good work in us have faithful to complete it, Lord God. Lord, if we could fall away, we would. And we thank you that you are the one that keeps us. That is your power that sustains our faith. You've given us a born-again heart that cannot be taken away. You've
planted, the anointing of the, the Holy Spirit who indwells us, keeps us secure and also produces change in our life, Lord God. Changing us from the inside out, Lord. Lord, I pray for people here, those that are genuine Christians, that they would have deeper assurance and confidence in their salvation. And Lord, if there's anyone here that does not yet know you as Savior, for those that don't, Lord God, I pray that they would not have false assurance, but instead that you would work in their heart and that they would come to you and accept you for real for the first time, Lord God. We thank you, Lord. All glory to Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.